Hey guys, in today's episode of the Korea Packs podcast, we celebrate 200 days, 200 days of me doing this intro, 200 days of me doing outro, 200 days of me talking about something that may matter, may not matter, something that I just care about. And today is day number 200. It's wild. Let's get into it. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Korea Packs podcast. My name is Neil Patel. I'm the host of this podcast. And finally, welcome to episode number 200. We are 200 days into this 365-day journey. For those of you who are new, welcome, man. My name is Neil. About 200 days ago, I told myself that I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to go all in. I wanted to do it for a year straight. And here we are, day number 200. And today, I want to talk about a couple things. Typically, on these milestone days, I like to call it, I just reflect give a little bit of gratitude. But today I also want to add something on top of that as well. But before I do any of that, uh, for anyone who is new and listening to me for the first time, I want to let you know where you can follow my journey. Uh, If you find this episode or if you've listened to another episode in the past, share it with a friend, share it with someone that you may think can get some value out of this. Uh, Leave me a four or five star review on Spotify. It helps me out a ton. And you can follow me on all socials, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, at the Korea Pact podcast. I post a bunch of videos there. I've been a little inconsistent with it lately because just a little hard to manage doing a daily podcast and posting everywhere daily, but that's no excuse. I got to get consistent on that again, but follow me on all those places. Okay. On to the reflection, on to the gratitude One thing that I am not grateful for, sorry, quick tangent, where's football? I am too excited for football, and I even miss basketball. Basketball season just ended back in June, and I'm like, dude, when basketball and football is not on, I just don't like it. The fact that it's 6.30 on a Tuesday, and I can't watch, uh, well, you know, football is not on the weekdays anyway, but the fact that I can't turn on TNT and watch some basketball and have it playing in the background and then at 9.30 have Sports Center on and people talking about players doing this and that and can't watch NBA Today and all those shows, uh, it's just the the dry season of sports for me. I know it's baseball season. It's full swing right now. I'm not the biggest baseball fan, but football and basketball, it's the dry spell from June to end of August. Uh, preseason football is already back. And it's about to start soon, uh, like the actual season. But just those two months, it's just, ah, dang it, man. I need I need my sports. So I've been hungry for it. Okay, enough of that. I want to share three quick lessons that I've learned from the past 100 days, from episodes 100 to 200. If you haven't watched my 100-day video on episode number 100, go check that out. I do a reflection of what days 0 through 100 were like. But the past 100 days, they have taught me three things. Three very important lessons. The first one, getting good at podcasting and building an audience takes a very long time. Most podcasts quit, 99% of podcasts quit after 20 episodes. I made it past 20, clearly. So we are in the top 1% of podcasts ever created because 99% of them don't even make it past episode number 20, which is a crazy stat if you really think about it. And it puts a lot of perspective into the work that you actually put in because 200 episodes, let alone 20, is a lot. So 
getting good at podcasting, getting good at building an audience, knowing how to just captivate someone on the other end of this mic. It takes time. And a lot of good shows, think Joe Rogan, for an example. I've been referring to Joe Rogan a lot. I don't want you guys to think that I'm this Joe Rogan fanboy. No, he, he has a good podcast. I listen to it relatively often, maybe like once a week, maybe twice if I'm feeling good or if there's a cool guest on there. But the reason I like to refer to him so much is because it took over, I think he started it back in 2008, 2009, and it didn't really catch on to mainstream uh, media or social media, and people didn't really take notice of it, I guess, until 2015, 2016. That's when it really started to get big. That's six, seven years. And then from 2016 to now, it's obviously the biggest podcast there is in the world of podcasting. Aside from Joe, all good podcasts, I think, take time to build a big audience and just get good, get a feeling of what type of podcast it is. And honestly, there's a little bit of uh, some dishonesty to that as well, because I think with the power of social media, if you know how to distribute your podcast well, and if you have you know other co-hosts where two people are working on a podcast rather than just one person... If you really work together, know exactly what your topic is, it's very niche and there's people who are genuinely interested in learning about it, whether it's finance or comedy or educational or something about crimes. Um, You know, there's a lot of crime podcasts like Crime Junkie and of that nature. All those podcasts, they can gain traction pretty quickly because, you know, you make a podcast, you make a long form episode, you post it on YouTube and then you take all the shorts you put it on tiktok and you have two people working simultaneously i guess i'm just not that interesting yet for enough people to listen however it takes time so that's lesson number one. lesson number two getting good at podcasting requires being articulate editing out the us ands um so's you knows buts etc and the reason i say this i started editing my episodes like taking the entire episode, putting it into a software and editing out some of the places where I stumble, where things don't make sense, the long-winded pauses. I just said ands, ums, so's, likes, all those filler words, removing them after episode, after 120 episodes, 120 something, I forgot. And ever since then, it's been a big reminder why most people can't just do one take and have it be phenomenal because it'll sound pretty bad. You'll blank like I just did for a brief moment there. So it takes editing. It takes some cleaning up unless it's an interview. Um, Even interviews, I guess. I mean, yeah, interviews have to be chopped up too. But just that whole cleaning up process in post-production, it's been a big eye-opener to why I am not a one-take king, which I thought I was. So getting good at podcasting requires editing And also the articulate part, I just made an episode about being articulate, episode number 198, two days ago. Check that out. The reason I think it's so important, because whatever topic I am discussing, I need to be able to get a point across or at least share my thoughts in a way that make sense and people understand. So that's very, very important. The best podcasters are articulate people. And Number three, the third lesson in the past 100 days is repeating steps number one and two for a long period of time until lots of people listen. Just repeating steps one and two, understanding it's going to take a long time, maybe two or three times longer than I expected, and it requires some cleaning up, removing filler words, and being articulate.
that's kind of it. In all seriousness, I don't have that much to say other than I'm grateful for anyone who listens. And a big takeaway I've had the past hundred days is to be more particular with language. Uh, the other three, they're real lessons, but it was also just very baseline. In all seriousness, the past hundred days, understanding my language, being particular with it, how I explain something, how I present something, I've been pushed to focus more on these things, how I speak, how I share a story, voice inflections, calm, stern, confident, being on video. So there's so many things that go into a podcast and I'm slowly starting to understand how many things go into it. Some days I don't really care that much about it. I just want to get it out there. Other days I try to take a little bit more of a serious approach of crafting something well. And I'm not saying other days I don't focus on that. It's just it's not top of mind. Other days I'm just so excited to talk about something. My passion and emotion takes over, which is okay. That's the world of podcasting. You get to do what you want. But I found myself some days being a little bit more serious about how I craft an entire episode, especially since now I'm going to be doing a video and putting it up on YouTube every day. It's important to just take that into account. Now onto the fun stuff, the second part of the title, which says not giving a fuck. I started rereading the book by Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fluff. I apologize if I say the F word a lot in this episode because I probably uh, probably will. However, I started reading it and 10 pages in, I forgot how great this book was. When I first started reading it, I didn't re I think I read it cover to cover because I read it about two or three years ago. And honestly, my biggest takeaway from it was to just give less fucks about shit and do more of the things that make you happy. Like there's so many. I don't know. It's kind of a thing where you read something and then you can't recite it or you can't remember everything. And you just remember one or two big takeaways you had from the book. The takeaway from this book is genuinely in the title of the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fluff. You guys get what I'm trying to say. However, I did get into the book today and I want to read a part. I don't think me explaining it in a couple sentences will do it any justice. So why not just read the entire part? This will be a little bit long. So please bear with me. This guy was talking about an author or a guy. Uh, he pretty much did nothing with his life until about the age of 50 until this dude started writing. And, it, and I'm, I'm going to pick it up from here. It says, see, despite the book sales and the fame, Bukowski was a loser. He knew it. And his success stemmed not from some determination to be a winner, but the fact that he knew he was a loser, accepted it, and then wrote honestly about it. He never tried to be anything other than what he was. The genius in Bukowski's work was not in overcoming unbelievable odds or developing himself into a shining literary light. It was the opposite. It was a simple ability to be completely unflinchingly honest with himself, especially the worst parts of himself, and to share his feelings, or excuse me, his failings without hesitation or doubt. This is the real story of Bukowski's success, his comfort with himself as a failure. He didn't give a fluff about success. Even after his fame, he still showed up to a poetry readings, hammered and verbally abused people in his audience. He still exposed himself in public and tried to sleep with every woman he could find. Fame and success didn't make him a better person. Self-improvement and success often occur together, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the same thing. Our culture today is obsessively focused on unrealistically positive expectations. Be happier, be healthier, be the best better than the rest, be smarter, faster, richer, sexier, more popular, more productive, more envied, and more admired. 
be perfect and amazing and crap out 12 carat gold nuggets before breakfast each morning while kissing your selfie ready spouse and two and a half kids goodbye then fly your helicopter to your wonderfully fulfilling job where you spend your days doing incredibly meaningful work that's likely to save the planet one day but when you stop and really think about it conventional life advice all the all the positive and happy self-help stuff we hear all the time is actually fixating on what you lack it lasers in on what you perceive your personal shortcomings and failures to already be and then emphasizes them for you you learn about the best ways to make money because you feel you don't have enough money already you stand in front of the mirror and repeat affirmations saying that you're beautiful because you feel as though you're not beautiful already. You follow dating and relationship advice because you feel that you're unlovable already. You try goofy visualization exercises about being more successful because you feel as though you aren't successful already. Ironically, this fixation on the positive, on what's better, what's superior, only serves to remind us over and over again of what we are not and what we lack, of what we should have been but failed to be. After all, no truly happy person feels the need to stand out in front of a mirror and recite that she's happy. He or she. She just is. There's a saying in Texas, the smallest dog barks the loudest. A confident man doesn't need or doesn't feel a need to prove that he's confident. A rich woman doesn't feel a need to convince anybody that she's rich. Either you are or you're not. And if you're dreaming of something all the time, then you're reinforcing the same unconscious reality over and over that you are not that. Everyone in their TV commercial wants you to believe that the key to a good life is a nicer job, a more rugged car, or a prettier girlfriend, or a hot tub with an inflatable pool for the kids. The world is constantly telling you that the path to a better life is more, 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 buy more, own more, make more, fuck more, be more. You're constantly bombarded with messages to give a fuck about everything all the time. Give a fuck about a new TV. Give a fuck about having a better vacation than your coworkers. Give a fuck about buying that new lawn ornament. Give a fuck about having the right kind of selfie stick. Why? My guess, because giving a fuck about more stuff is good for business. And this is what he calls the feedback loop from hell. There's an insidious quirk to your brain that if you let it can drive you absolutely batty. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You get anxious about confronting somebody in your life. That anxiety cripples you and you start wondering why you're so anxious. Now you become anxious about being anxious. Oh no, doubly anxious. Now you're anxious about your anxiety, which is causing more anxiety. Quick, where's the whiskey? Or let's say you have an anger problem. You get pissed off at the stupidest, most insane stuff. You get pissed off at the stupidest, most insane stuff, and you have no idea why. And the fact that you get pissed off so easily starts to piss you off even more. And then in your petty rage, you realize that being angry all the time makes you a shallow and mean person. And you hate this. You hate it so much that you get angry at yourself. Now look at you. You're angry at yourself getting angry about being angry. Fuck you, wall. Here, have a fist. So that one, by the way, I just want to give some context to why that one hits the deepest about the anger one because i used to get i'm not saying i'm perfect now like i still do get frustrated relatively quickly at small stuff but i used to get really angry and then i've i've read this before but rereading this it makes me realize like geez dude the, the brain is insane i'm gonna keep reading or you're so worried about doing the right thing all the time that you become worried about how much you are worrying or you feel so guilty for every mistake you make that you begin to feel guilty about how guilty you're feeling or you get sad and alone so often that it makes you feel even more sad and alone just thinking about it. Welcome to the feedback loop from hell. Chances are you've engaged in it more than a few times. Maybe you're engaging in it now. God, I do the feedback loop all the time. I'm such a loser for doing it. I should stop. Oh my God, I feel like a loser for calling myself a loser. I should stop calling myself a loser. Ah, fuck. I'm doing it again. See, I'm a loser. Ah. Calm down, amigo, he says. 
Believe it or not, this is part of the beauty of being human. Very few animals on Earth have the ability to think cogent, cogent? I don't know if cogent or cogent thoughts to begin with, but we humans have the luxury of being able to have thoughts about our thoughts. So I can think about watching Miley Cyrus videos on YouTube and then immediately think about what a sicko I am for wanting to watch Miley Cyrus videos on YouTube. Ah, the miracle of consciousness. Now, here's a problem. Our, our society today, through the wonders of consumer culture and, hey, look, my life is cooler than your social media, has bred a whole generation of people who believe that having these negative experiences, anxiety, fear, guilt, etc., is totally not okay. I mean, if you look at your Facebook feed, everyone there is having a fucking grand old time. Look, eight people got married this week and some 16-year-old on TV got a Ferrari for a birthday. And another kid just made $2 billion inventing an app that automatically de delivers you more toilet paper when you run out. The feedback loop from hell has become a borderline epidemic, making many of us overly stressed, overly neurotic, and overly self-loathing. Back in grandpa's day, he would feel like shit and think to himself, gee whiz, I sure do feel like a cow turd today. But hey, I guess that's life. Back to shoveling hay. But now, now if you feel like shit for even five minutes, you're bombarded with 350 images of people totally happy and having amazing fucking lives. And it's impossible to not feel like there's something wrong with you. It's this last part that gets us into trouble. We feel bad about feeling bad. We get guilty for feeling guilty. We get angry about being angry. We get anxious about being or feeling anxious. What is wrong with me? This is why not giving a fuck is so key. This is why it's going to save the world. And it's going to save it by accepting that the world is totally fucked and that's all right because it's always been that way and always will be. By not giving a fuck that you feel bad, you short circuit the feedback loop from hell. You say to yourself, I feel like shit, but who gives a fuck? And then, as if sprinkled by magic fuck giving fairy dust, you stop hating yourself for feeling so bad. Okay, so that's where I'm going to stop. But this is so interesting. That entire uh, passage, I guess, that or part of the book that I just read, it talks about this feedback loop from hell. It's so interesting how our brain has the power to have a thought about a thought, get attached to that second thought, and then ruin our entire mood because that second thought is the thought that we got attached to. Uh, the, the best example I like to give is like, imagine like the ocean and the, the drift of life, I, I like to call it, right? If you're, if you're a boat and it's just drifting along the ocean, that entire drift is just your thoughts and thought after thought after thought. But imagine there's like an iceberg in the middle of the sea and then that drift automatically stops if you get attached to a single thought. If you get attached to that single iceberg, that single thought that you got attached to, there's going to be other icebergs that start to pop up. And then you, that little boat, it can't get around and keep going through the drift of life. And if you get caught on that one iceberg, you get caught on the other one and then the other one. And then next thing you know, you're just surrounded by a bunch of icebergs while your boat is stuck in the middle of the ocean and there is no ocean anymore. That's the best example I like to give with the drift of life. It's your, your mind is just a constant pool of thoughts and emotions. And the more we get stuck with them, if we get stuck with a thought or an emotion, the more thoughts and emotions we're going to create around that thought. I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm making sense at all, but your brain loves to do that. And when your, your brain can mind fuck you, that's why I'm a big, believer in you are not your thoughts. I know that might be an unpopular opinion, but you are not your thoughts. Your thoughts, they don't control you. They really don't. Once you accept the fact that like, dude, just stop giving a fuck. Like your brain doesn't always tell you the truth. It'll, it, it changed a lot for me because now whenever I'm in a bad mood or if I think about something I shouldn't be or have a way of thinking of life or something that may happen or whatever, Whatever my brain is thinking, I could just be like, okay, dude, like that's just that's just not true. 
my brain is just fucking with me right now. Just stop giving a fuck. And then that thought just ripples on by. And then boom, you're good. So give yourself a break. It's okay to feel shitty or booty or have a bad day. If nothing's working out in your favor, it's okay. Just stop giving a fuck. Because the more fucks we give, the more fucked we allow our mind to get. Okay. Highly recommend you guys read this book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. That's all I have for you guys today. Um, day number 200. Wow. 200 days in. I feel amazing. There's lots of lots of love in my heart for anyone who listens to this podcast. And if you've ever listened to even a minute of the pod, I appreciate you. And again, if you like the pod, if you say or if you've seen other people say good stuff about it, share it with them. Follow me on all socials at the Korea Pact podcast. And again, leave me a four or five star review. It'll help me out a ton. I did also create. Actually, I, I did create that feedback form a little while ago, but I, ha- I haven't been. My links have not been working in the description of the podcast. So if you guys just want to follow me on Instagram, Neil underscore Patel four, I have my link tree there. That's probably the best place that you guys can follow me, get a hold of everything that I'm doing there. That'll be the best. Thank you so much. Cheers to giving less fucks. Like I always say, guys, take care, tell someone that you love them, and go do something nice for someone today because they genuinely deserve it. For the 200th time, I will see you guys tomorrow. Cheers. Peace.